The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool O, Organizing Your Supports. When everything goes to hell, the people who stand by you without flinching, they are your family. By James Butcher. Welcome to this episode of the A to Z Healing Toolbox podcast, where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. Today, we are so fortunate to have with us Kim Hamer. She is a wonderful soul. I've known her for quite a few years now. She's a friend and colleague. Kim was actually widowed at the age of 44. While caring for her husband and after his death, her friends found unique ways of supporting her and her family. As a way of paying it forward, Kim founded 100actsoflove.com, offering girlfriends inspired ways to support their friend dealing with cancer, loss, or crisis. Her message has already reached thousands of women worldwide. She is the mother of three children and resides in Los Angeles. But before we get Kim on this episode, I would love to share with you a little bit about the importance of organizing our supports when we are moving through a grief or trauma experience. And I'll explain a little bit with a quick story about how this came to be in my life after Brent died. A woman came to my door in support of my son and I. I did not know her. She was someone who was connected with a church community, and she was part of a ministry called the Stevens Ministry, and their job is to just come and be with people in their time of need. 
So there we are sitting on my couch and she said, Susan, I believe that in life there are those who be and there are those who do. I am a beer. My job here is to be with you. I will hold the space for whatever feelings, emotions, and challenges come up for you while going through this massive life transition. I will sit with you. I will listen to you. I will not judge you. I will hold your hand and hug you too, if that's okay. And then she said, you know, other people will do things for you. They might wash your dishes, wash your clothes, help with your son, drive him around, buy you groceries, bring you food, but I'm here to be with you. And as she was talking, in my head, I, I just saw this blank piece of paper with a huge line drawn down the middle. And on one side of the page were the beers, and on the other side were the doers. And the names of all the people in my new life and my old life started jumping onto the page, kind of filing into order. And some names even sat right on the center line because these folks could both be with me in my time of sadness and anger and frustration, all the things. And they could also do things to help with the logistics of my new life. There were quite a few people who showed up for me and I will appreciate them always. There were also people that I thought would show up for me that didn't. And that caused a lot of anger, frustration, sadness on top of the anger, frustration, and sadness that I already had. So I'd love to get Kim on now and welcome her so that she can help us understand a little bit more about the importance of organizing our supports both during a crisis and after the crisis when we still need help from people in our lives oh my goodness kim it is so great to have you here i feel like we could be on this podcast for two hours and not have everything <laughs> said right we could totally <laughs> well i really appreciate you being here and i and before we really get into the meat of healing tool O and organizing our supports and how that looks when we're grieving or traumatized. I just have to tell everybody how we met because it's a great story. <laughs> it's a good story. <laughs> so my girlfriend and I, Robin, who's widowed as well, she and I were standing in line at the Marriott uh, for Camp Widow, which is run by Soaring Spirits International. And Kim happened to be standing in line in front of us. And the only word that seemed appropriate was F, you know? And so we kind of bonded over swearing and we've been bonding over swearing for years now because when you're widowed or grieving, sometimes that's the only thing that makes sense to do, right? Yeah. And I think the other thing too is we remember after we after Camp Widow, we were sending texts back and forth with because we weren't bonding over swearing, we were bonding over that particular word. word. And we would send texts of like mugs that were like you you'd tip the mug up and it'd be giving you the finger, <laughs> shirts that said, you know, I, I don't remember what they said, but they were always like F you on them. This is this went on for a good like nine almost a year of us three sending these texts back and forth to each other so yeah it was a you're right it's a very appropriate word especially as a widowed person or a grieving person because sometimes that's really the only word that really fits the scenario or fits the emotion at the moment so that is the little backstory of how Kim and I met. And here we are years later, mm -hmm. we've both written books. We're both mm -hmm. out in the community, reaching hand back to other widowed people and other grieving people in other situations. You are the guru of 
helping people organize for those who are in a crisis, but also helping those of us who are in a crisis figure out what to do. I would love for listeners to know a little bit about your story first, how you came to be the guru, how you came to write this <laughs> wonderful book called 100 Acts of Love. Maybe we could start there. Sure. So um, it all started the day my husband was diagnosed with cancer. I, I remember sitting in the doctor's office. It was, it was like a literally TV movie moment. We're sitting in the doctor's office. Uh, there had been some examinations that had happened to my husband. The doctor comes in and instead of being at his desk or across the exam table from him, and he literally laces his fingers, puts them on the exam table and says, I think you have cancer. And the only reason he said, I think is because, you know, you have to have it biopsied to prove that it is cancer. So that's when the whole thing began. And we made three phone calls that day. We called my husband's parents, we called my parents, and then my husband called his boss. And one of the things that his boss did was he immediately made some phone calls and got my husband in to see a specialist who was very good, who happened to be actually an expert in the cancer that my husband had. We didn't know what kind of cancer it was at that time, okay. but happened to be an expert in that cancer. And the reason I mentioned this is because his boss took immediate helpful action. Like he just, he just jumped into That's it and beautiful. said, this is what we're going to do. I want you to see this person. We have some connections. Let's just get it done. And I think sometimes when we're in crisis, when we're in grief, that's what we expect our friends to do. That's sort of what we want them to do. Yes. Only most of the time they're not bold enough to do it. I started when we, we, we told, started telling our friends and coworkers that, you know, art had, my art was my husband's name, had cancer. And we kept hearing the phrase in the beginning, if you need anything, let me know. And I became I thought that was just so helpful. It was so nice. I felt so loved every single time someone said that. And then I started to realize it's not helpful at all. And, you know, in my book, it's the first thing I say. It's the first chapter. It's the only chapter that only has one tip. And the tip is don't say, if you need anything, let me know. And there are three reasons this is the least helpful thing. And I think your listeners will totally identify with it because so I couldn't pick, figure out why it wasn't helpful. But then I realized it's this. First, what the heck does anything like anything is too big a word, like just too big. You know, we had toddlers at the time. You, did you mean that you were going to go pick up my throwing up toddler, like in your beautiful Mercedes Benz, you know, station wagon? Or did you mean that you were just happy to go out and get a gallon of milk for me when I needed, right? For someone who has a, who's, who's, who's dealing with a parent that's dying. Did you mean you're going to sit and read to my dying mother? Or did you mean that you're going to call up every day and just be like, so how's it going? Right. What is anything? It's way too big. We had three kids. My husband had a full-time job. I was working as a freelancer and I didn't even know what I needed. And that's the second reason. As a person in crisis, you have no idea what you need. And people act as if, you know, now we all know like meals are really helpful. Yes, that's great. So you got the meals. And then sometimes having a phone call from a friend is really helpful. That's great. But beyond that, we often don't know what we need. You know, I didn't yes. know that I needed someone to make lunches for my kids. I didn't know that I needed rides to, to, to get my husband to the cancer, so cancer treatments. I didn't know that I needed an emergency number, someone I could call at 3 a.m. in the morning because I was terrified, right? I didn't know I needed all those things. And oftentimes I don't know I need them until I'm in the moment. I didn't know I needed pasta until I'm boiling water in the house at 5.30 after, you know, hearing that my husband has to stay at the cancer treatment a little bit longer. And I've got these three kids, I'm trying to get dinner ready. 
I didn't know I needed pasta until I go in the pantry and there's no pasta. So that's the other reason that it's not helpful because we don't know what we need. And the third reason, and I know all y'all listeners will be able to relate to this is hello. We are, we are at our bare bones, raw, vulnerable. You know, my friend used to say I was a well-dressed nerve, right? <laughs> like, because yes. anything anyone said, I was just like, oh, I can't handle the information or it means you hate me or it means I'm going to start to cry. Or I was constantly trying to hold myself together. And so if you say, if you need anything, let me know. You are then asking me, even if I figure out what I need right? That specific thing. And I'm willing to, and I figure out who's, who, who I can think about, who can, who can do it for me. You are now asking me in my most vulnerable state to call you person who just offered and be vulnerable and risk rejection for something stupid. Like, can you fill my gas with car? I'm my gas with car. Can you fill my- <laughs> widow brain, widow, widow brain, brain Kim, right? Exactly. There you go. Can you fill my car with gas, right? Something that is so easy to do, but you can't wrap your head around it. So that's why that statement is so useless. Okay. So back to my story. I figure that out. My friends, some friends step in, which I think your readers, your listeners can, can relate to and other friends who I expect to step in, step out. Um, and those friends who step in, they just kind of do things. They don't really ask or they'll they were they would give me limited choices. Do you want us to bring chicken for dinner or lasagna specific? I have choices. Um, do you want us to take the kids on Saturday or Sunday? Right. Again, really specific. So people started making these offers and I just started to pay attention. The more specific the offer was, the more I understood it. Like I remembered it and I remembered who to call and I felt comfortable calling because I knew exactly what they were willing to yes. do. So my husband frees himself and disentangles himself from cancer the first time. And less than two years later, it comes back and in four months he's dead. And then I'm in none, then I'm suddenly a widow, um, which we know, thankfully there are lots of young widows that we got to meet a camp widow. It was a fantastic journey. And but how he- old were you at the time that Art died? I was 44. So I was young and our children were not 12, nine and seven. So they were, they were in that mid, mid child range, age range. And I can honestly say if it wasn't for all the different ways that people stepped in, I don't think I'd be, not that I'm terribly sane, but I'm more sane than I would be if I hadn't let people help. And I think it's the letting the people help that is the key part of this conversation. I love what you just said about letting people help. There are people who will step up like all of those folks surrounded you, right? And they were helping in different ways and giving you limited choices. I also talked to hundreds of people who say no one's showing up to help or they've offered and it's not coming or I actually did reach out. I had this story two days ago. I needed a ride to get my car fixed. You know, I needed to bring the car and I needed a ride home. And I asked two people, which was hard to do, and they weren't available. What can you say to those of us who are grieving, traumatized in crisis, who don't have people stepping up? I mean, do we need to be the ones to ask for help, which is very hard for some people? It look, it's very hard for all of us. I don't think there's a single person out there who's like gracefully, I'm so good at asking for help. So I think that that is, that's a misnomer that some people are really easy at it, really good at it. They're not, you may be good at it at work when you're dealing with a project that you don't understand and you have a supportive team around you, you know, the people aren't going to reject or that they're going to reach out. But most of the time we're really bad at asking for help. And so here's the thing I always say, a lot of people about 
50 per, 70% of the people who say, if you need anything, let me know, really do mean it. In the moment, they are feeling your pain. They want to help. They don't know what to do, right? So they really want your guidance. Unfortunately, at the time when you're the most vulnerable, it does take courage. One of the things that I've been told about my book is that it's been a really good source for people to understand all the different things that they can ask other people for. Can you cover some highlights of what, what we can ask for? Because sure. we may not know. And as a good friend of mine says, when we're in crisis, we can't talk our way out of a paper bag. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> a wet paper bag. Exactly. Really easy to tear. Um, so yeah, so the book is arranged in categories because that's sort of what felt good to me. So there, of course, is a food category. One of my favorite tips that happened only the second time that Art had cancer is ask someone to put a cooler by your front door so people can put meals in the cooler and you don't have to answer the door. Now Great I know tip. with the advent of DoorDash and Grubhub and, you know, a lot of times people will just send that to you, but if your friend wants to bring a meal, or even if, even if you're like, there are days you just don't, you just can't face someone. Maybe you're in the middle of sobbing and dinner arrives and you're, you, you just don't feel like it's fair to put all that pressure on the poor Grubhub person who's delivering. And you're like, you know, your makeup smeared down your face, your eyes are right. Clearly something's wrong. Um, so the cooler by the front door is a great tip. Cars, you know, we live in a car central society and our cars are key to running. And we all know what happens, like you said, with your friend, when our car isn't working in a regular basis, it's a crisis. When our car isn't working, when we're in crisis, it's a catastrophe. Yes. So car help. Can you fill my car with gas? You know, here's, here's my credit card. Can you just please go fill it with gas? Right. Or repairs. Repairs right? are huge, 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 huge. I had friends who lent me their cars while my car was being repaired because I, I just couldn't even wrap my head around that. What I would have was going to have to go to the rental place to get a rental car. And I just, I couldn't, I, you know, and now it sounds so stupid. I mean, even now I'm judging myself for not being able to do it, but I was in intense grief and the idea of getting myself to a car rental place, filling out forms that normally my husband would have filled out and taking these keys and remembering that I need to bring the car back and all that other stuff wasn't working for me. And you um, had three kids and too. I had, so those yep. people with children, what are you going to do with three kids, right? Yes. The car seats, all the things that you have, maybe diaper bags. I mean, you've got toys, you've got all this stuff exactly. in your car. Exactly. So car help is a really great thing to do. Something I've seen at work, you know, make sure that you are telling people what's going on in your life at work and that you can, you can, you get to say, you know what? I'm, grieving right now. Do you mind repeating that? Like you, that's a simple way of asking for help. That doesn't feel too like, can you please fill my car with gas? Right. doesn't feel too needy. The other thing that I have done. So uh, there's that um, there's a chapter on how to help with kids. So, you know, pay for camp, register them for like, we have all these breaks that are coming up, register them for camp, um, have the kids Take the kids, have someone take your child and just do a project with them. We always say, and I hate this phrase, kids are resilient. Kids are not freaking resilient unless you teach them to be resilient. So it's, we just brush it off. Children of grieving people want to help the grieving parent or person. They want, so if, if you can, if you can have someone take a child and say, you know, have them bake a cake or ask them what they want to do, or, you know, you don't have to do that, but just have them even take your child away. You can say, I need a break. And that's a great thing for them and for the child. 
Um, if you live far away, you know, something else that you can ask is a lot of times what we don't talk about is financial issues and legal issues that come up because of a death or because of trauma. You know, we need support in that. We need, you know, can you help me find a lawyer? Can you, can, you know, the, there's a, there's a, tip in my book called send lawyers guns and money from that show the stevie ray vaughn um t not that tv show tv ray vaughn song right yeah so so you know it's it's sometimes you need lawyers guns and money <laughs> and and people don't realize it because because you're you they don't know what to do and they don't know what the issues are so those are some of the things i i talk about i do want to kind of if we can jump into how to personally think about help we can jump there. Yes, because that is a huge topic. It's help, getting help, asking for help, expecting help that doesn't come in the way you need it, or you thought these people were going to show up for you because they've been in your life forever and they know you and they don't show up in the way you need to get help. And so I'd love to go there. In my book and my teaching, I talk about how you can classify people in three categories, right? The mm -hmm. people that come to help, they can be your beers, right? They can just be with you, be with mm -hmm. your kids, do the projects with your kids at home, help give them a bath, you know, just be. And then the people that do things, right? The lawyers, the guns and the money. Mm -hmm. And then I say, there's this whole other category of people who may show up and they're not helping whatsoever. And it's okay to put them on the shelf. Like I can't do you right now. I can't take that kind of help mm -hmm. because maybe your anxiety is way more than mine and mm -hmm. I'm the griever. So mm -hmm. let's talk about mm -hmm. all the help. So there is a great saying that I absolutely love. And expectation is resentment under construction. Expectation is resentment under construction. I love that. So when we, now we don't realize we have expectations, right? And so our, our family member, our spouse, we um, end up with cancer, heart attack, you know, in crisis. We realize we have an expectation of that friend who we've had for 20 years to show up. And when they don't show up, we start, we, we, we probably already have some resentments because we, you know, let's be honest, we're not really clean in our relationships in general. So we've already been building some resentments and then all of a sudden they don't show up. And that resentment has just, you just built a beautiful, resentful building. Like it's, it's sealed. It's got beautiful windows and doors and tricky walkways, right? Yes. Yes. It goes from, goes from a single story to a high rise. Um, so when we have these expectations of ourselves and of others, that's, that's the beginning of the trouble. I think sometimes we forget that, like I always tell people when you're the person who's in need, how do you feel when your friend's in need? Like you want to go in and you want to help. And you want a little bit of a direction, but you want to go in and help. And why do you want to go and help? Because you love them, because you care about them, because you like them, because they make your day, make your week, make your life a little bit better. Maybe you want to go in and help because you didn't help the way you wanted to help before with somebody else. So it's like sort of a pay it forward or it's living, right. in, a, living in an amends, right? So, mm -hmm. so those may all be all the reasons. It's so interesting how we forget that when we're the people who need the help. We forget that when we allow someone to ask, when we allow someone to help us, we are one, allowing them to show each of us that we're important, that we matter. And I think sometimes that scares us. We all, you know, I'm going to use these big generalizations. We all. So a lot of people, you know, I matter. I'm important. I know I'm loved. But when it comes to actually accepting the love, we're not really good at that. True. So true. 
you know, we we're kind of remembering that thing that we did 20 years ago, that was a really big mistake. And like that we're still punishing ourselves for. So heaven forbid that someone bring you a meal. So, so that's the first thing. So it's, we forget that we're not accepting of love. The second thing is we forget that we are giving people permission. When we ask for help, we are also telling someone else it's okay for you to ask for help. And oh my gosh, what an incredible gift that is. I had someone after, this is a couple of years after Art died, say to me, I went through something really difficult and watching you, I knew I was okay. It was okay for me to ask for help. Not the purpose of anything that I was doing in the moment. The purpose of what I was doing in the moment was to get the help that I needed. But, oh my gosh, you know, you are, you are being a gift to other people. And I know when you're in the middle of crisis, you're like, fuck you. I don't feel like being a gift. Exactly. You know? <laughs> like that, is, that is not the point of this crisis. You know, I totally get that, but there's a long game that comes out of your crisis. And that long game can be that you have given people permission to ask for help themselves. And then the third thing is we live in a country that is based on independence, right? Yes, ma'am. We think Oprah Winfrey's great or you hate her or whatever, because she did it by herself. She did not do anything by herself. She did not do it by herself. She is the face of a group of people that she has worked with in and out through all these years. So they did not get there by themselves. They got there by, by understanding what they're not good at and finding people to do those things for them. So I get really passionate about this topic. Well, I think it's, you know, I, I see that and I hear that and I'm glad that you do because it's so important. I mean, I can't tell you how many widowed people I talk to. I run small groups. Yes. And we just did a small group a couple nights ago about navigating social change and organizing your supports. And it's kind of a blank, blank stare. Like yes. I'm supposed to be doing all this on my own or my husband used to do it or my child who died, who was, you know, 25 used to do it. And now they're not here. And I, I don't know how to ask for help. And I feel like I'm expected to do everything on my own. And I think the thing is you're not expected. It's just that people look, people are circling. I think the other tip too, is don't discount the people who have said, if you need anything, let me know. Like maybe it's the, maybe it's the grandmother of your friend. And you're like, why would the grandmother of my friend do it? Or why would my neighbor's best friend want to offer? I don't even know my neighbor's best friend. I met him once at a party. But oftentimes the people who are offering, who are kind of on the periphery, it's because they have a story. They have a story and they have an experience and they want to pay it forward in some way. So I often say, you know, if that neighbor's friend at the party says, if you need anything, let me know, take that person up on it because they're not making that offer. Most of the time, they are not making that offer lightly. I have a great story just to back up what you're saying. And then I want to get into timelines. Is there a timeline that we are on for asking for help? Because nine years later, I still need help. <laughs> sort of yes and sort of no. But right. Yeah, so we'll get into that. that. But the story I want to mention about people on the periphery who want to help. So this gal used to come over to my house to help with my son, brought us dinner. She's been, a, you know, she was a friend for 20 years. We used to teach at a school together. I hadn't been in touch with any of the other teachers from this school for decades. I had lived overseas. I this kind of you know, they just kind of went by the wayside. This teacher friend was coming to our house to help me with dinner and give Jacob a bath and read him books and get him to bed. And when all that was said and done, she said to me, you know, Sandy 
this other teacher I taught with 20 years before said to me to tell you, if you ever want to make pillows or a blanket out of Brent's shirts, that she would love to do that for you. And I was thinking, well, A, I haven't talked to Sandy in decades. B, I am not in a place to do anything with Brent's stuff, although they were in bags. I didn't want right. to give his Hawaiian shirts away because I knew I right. wanted to do something with them, but they sat in bags. So she put that seed in my head. Four years later, the shirts were still in bags and I went on a retreat, a grief healing retreat. And I came back from that retreat in a completely new headspace. Mm. And I said to my friend, here's the bag please give it to Sandy. This is four years later. That's brilliant. And I'll tell you what, I know this is a podcast, so it's audio only, but if you could see on my wall, I have two beautiful wall hangings that Sandy made. I, I said, do whatever you want. Just tell her, have at it. You know, she's the artist, she's the creator. She created these beautiful wall hangings. We have two. She created pillows for Jacob that are still on his bed, made of his dad's shirts. And this was an offer from somebody I had known two decades earlier. And four years later, she's still there waiting to do it. So to your point. That is a great story. And that's exactly the perfect story. You know, it's the periphery people that sometimes show up and sometimes offer the most meaningful gifts. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's beautiful. I think the other thing that we need to consider is there's an internal dialogue that happens that is exasperated when we're in grief or dealing with trauma. And that is, you know, it's the shame, the guilt, the feeling not good enough because we can't manage right? It's the judgment of the fact that we can't manage. And of course I can say this in hindsight, I'm 12 years out. So if you're in the, if you're in the beginning of this, (laughs) just listen to it over and over and over again. (laughs) Exactly. I think the thing um, to remember is that needing somebody, we all want to be needed. We all want to be needed, right? That's what, that's what social media is all about. Look at me, look at me. I've got something to give to you, but look at me, right? That's what social media is all about. We all want to be needed, counted on, loved, feel like we're making a difference in people's lives. And so when you have the courage, which I know is really hard to have, but here's the thing about courage. Courage to me isn't about the guy who's running into the burning building, although God bless that man or person who does that. Courage to me is you're up today. If you got out of bed, or even if you didn't get out of bed, if you got out of bed to pee, you have courage, right? That's right. If you put my, the only reason I got through this horrible little hiccup in my life, and I think you can agree, is I put one pinky toe, one millimeter in front of the other. I was not like, I'm getting up today and I'm going to, I'm going to be strong. There was no being strong in my vocabulary for years. I hear you. I didn't, I wasn't realized I was strong until I did a look back. If someone had done a movie on my life, I would have been like, wow, she's so strong. (laughs) (laughs) We don't give ourselves credit. We don't give ourselves credit. So the fact that you are getting up out of bed and trying to function, maybe you're not making it by your standards, but you're trying to function. That means that you have courage. And if you have that kind of courage and you're trying to function and trying to function, you are allowed to say to somebody, I really need help. 
can you do this? Correct. Like, you know, that person who two people said, no, it's devastating. It's so hard because you really need the help. And God bless those two people who said no, because it means that they either have really, they, they're either assholes or they have really good boundaries, right? They have something else and they couldn't, they weren't able to help. That doesn't mean they can't come back next time and help again. That doesn't mean that there's not something else that they want to do. So, right now you're 12 years out. I'm nine. Mm-hmm. Are we still allowed this question? I get a lot. Yes. You know, why can't I, I, I can't do everything. Why am I not strong enough? What's happening? I'm, I'm so many years away from this yep. profound loss. Am I still allowed to ask for help or why am I still asking for help? Can you speak right. to that? Cause I get that a lot. Yeah, I think um, I listened, I was just listening to this podcast yesterday morning and she was talking about when you have like three people in your office quit or two people in your office quit and all of a sudden everything is on them. So now you're doing the job of 120 hours trying to do it in, 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 in 40, right? Yes. Um, and I think the same thing goes through even for grief, especially in the first six or seven years, you're still adjusting to what it's like to not have your person around to not have your child around, to not have the person who is doing all these things. So when your person leaves, if it's a child who dies, there were things that you were doing um, with that child or for that child, depending on the age of things that your child was doing. You said like a 25 year old. And so, so I think that, that, that we need to give ourselves that grace. I think grace is so called for. And y'all, there is, for me, it's about the judgment. My tire pressure light went on my car the other day and I was like, shit, I've got to go get, you know, and I don't even, I have a daughter. Mine went on too. Okay, perfect. Well, I'll send my daughter down to you. I have a daughter who's 22. She, she lives with me. My other two boys are across the country. So I don't even have any children to really kind of take up that day-to-day sort of headspace, you know, children present, but I'm, you know, I'm working a full-time job. I'm building a business. I'm trying to keep a social life and staying connected with my friends. Those are the three major things in my lives right now. And the idea of trying to take time to go to the gas station, to fill the tire with pressure just felt too overwhelming. And I'm thinking about this and I'm this and I'm, and I'm like, oh my God, just ask your daughter, just ask her. If she says no, she says no. And then you go there, right? Right. Oftentimes we tell stories about how we think the other person's going to react. And 99% of the time, we're wrong because we're not mind readers. Can you fill the tire with tires with air? And she goes, sure. Do you need me to do it now? And I was like, no, no, no. You just in the next couple of days. She went out, she got it done. It was done. So I think sometimes also when you're going to ask for help, make sure that you set some boundaries on it. So people understand you say, can you fill my car with gas? They don't know if you need it in the next hour, the next day, you know, in by in the next three days. Right. So the more specific you are, when you ask for help, the better back to being able to ask for help. Yes. I think the thing that I'm learning as I share my story, and oftentimes, you know, you start to share the widow story. You don't share your widow story as much anymore. You don't go out in the world. Like when I, when Art first died, I was like, hi, my name's Kim and I'm a widow. And sometimes, sometimes it's, I'm a widow and my name is Kim, right? Yes. But now I mention it with strangers because it's usually part of the story that I'm telling. And I realize that I have to pause and give people the opportunity to take in the information that I've just shared with them. My husband's been dead for 12 years. I've been living with that for 12 years, but this person I'm sharing the information with has not, does not have this information. And it's like, holy, they're looking at me going, Oh my God, you must've been so young when your husband, like their, their, the tragedy is running in their head. Yes. And sometimes they will say, you know, I had a wonderful gentleman say, if your children need some type of support, let me know. 
This was 10 years after my husband died. And I'm thinking my kids are okay. They're, they could use his support in this one way, you know, for sure. So I think that things like that, that um, yes, you can still ask for help. You can still say to friends, I really, you know, I know this is so out of left park, but I need a meal tonight. Is there any way you can order me something? I don't even care what it is. Just no, nothing with mushrooms. I am feeling really, especially if you have children, you know, if you have three kids or two kids or one kid and you're trying to manage life without the partner and you're doing a pretty good job because it's six or seven years later, but there are moments where you're like, you're being stretched, you know, too thin. It's like, is there any way you can please, can you pick them up for every day after school this week? I just need a break. And, and again, you gift people when you ask for help because they don't know what's going on in your mind. All they know is that she, she seems fine. So it's been nine years to Susan. Look, she seems fine. She's doing this. She's doing that. They don't know that you're having days where you're like, you can't freaking function. Exactly. The answer to that question is yes, you can ask for help. And, you know, even, even people who you don't know, well, you can say, I'm having a really hard time right now. I know you don't know. My husband died nine years ago. I'm just having a tough time. They're circling that tragedy in their head and they will be, they will be happy to help you with that small task that you need. I always say to people too, if there's nobody there, friends or family wise to help hire someone. Yes. Hire someone or yes. find an organization. As yes. Michelle Neff Hernandez says, she's the founder of Soaring Spirits. Our husbands are still dead. We're still solo parenting. Maybe yep. your child died. You're still a grieving or bereaved parent. Yes. That hasn't changed. You're living with that day after day after day. So I got involved with the Big Brother, Big Sister program for Jacob. Mm-hmm. And yeah. over time, he's had three different big brothers with that program. Yep. And he's 14 years old. Yes. She still needs support. Yes. And then another funny uh, ask for help, because I've gotten really good at this now. It's like, I'm yes. a social worker. I yes. was the one helping people. And then I flipped that and said, it's my turn. I need the help now. Yep. This just happened two days ago. My son came home. He's a freshman in high school. And he said, mom, we, his little group at school, we've decided we want to go to the Valentine dance as a big group. And I need a suit. And I'm thinking, okay, have I ever bought a suit for a man or a boy? No. Have I ever bought a tie for what? No. And so I said, you know what? Call grandpa. Call grandpa. Grandpa will be on board with that. I, I need the help. I can't do yep. that. I would be, I will give you the money <laughs> yep. and you guys yep. go shop for suit because it's not in my wheelhouse and I have 800 other things happening because I'm still a solo parent. Mm-hmm. So let's get somebody else on board. And that's yep. nine years later. And I do this constantly with organizations or people that can offer something. I agree 100%. And I did want to put a caveat, you know, some people can't afford to get the help they need, like, you know, ordering Grubhub or whatever. But I think you can still ask, still ask, you know, there are church groups who will put together money for the suit for graduation for your child Yes. or the dress for graduation, you know, because they, they know that, you know, yeah, your husband died 10 years ago, but you're still struggling. You're still trying to make ends meet. You're still trying to, there's, there's other things that are at play here. So yes, yes. I think the last thing I do want to say is just beware of the self-pity. I mean, it can get, for me, it got really ugly. You know, I was with, you know, I was in a school, I was in a group where, you know, everyone else still had husbands and actually where the husbands were the primary, were doing very well as the primary breadwinners. And so they would say, well, Kim, we'll take the kids, you know, skiing. And I was like, I can't afford to send my children skiing right now. Not even right now. 
could barely afford it before when my husband was alive and can't afford it now. Like I can't afford skis, can't afford clothes, can't afford, you know, we got the ski trip. We got this, the kids are going to be going on this trip for whatever. And so you can ask and you can look, you have to remind people. And it feels, if you get, if, if it can feel shameful, if you don't recognize that your circumstances are just your circumstances, they're neither good nor bad. They are just your circumstances. And that quagmire of self-pity, I can't do it. I'm so bad. You know, my husband died. Nobody cares. No one's remembering. Y'all have news for you. No one is going to remember that death the way that you remembered that death, because the most important grief that you will ever experience in your life is your own grief. So that neighbor isn't going to remember that your husband is dead five years from now, or, or maybe, I mean, we'll always remember, but maybe we'll remember the effect of it, right? The, no one is going to remember the grief and feel the grief the way you grieve. So you are going to have to take the time to get out of that self-pity place and to say, hey, I need help. And I need help with this. And again, it's sort of the opposite of what my book is. I always tell in the book, be specific on the kind of support that you're going to offer. It's the most helpful thing that you can do for someone who's grieving, right? If you, if I remember that someone, I will take your kids to the movie on Fridays. That's so specific. I remember that yes. it's in my head. And when Friday rolls around, I'm like, oh God, I got to get my kids out of the house. Ring, ring, ring. Can you do it? So it's the same thing the other way. If you were asked for specific help for somebody. The more specific it is, the more likely they are to either say no or yes, and to even circle back and say, hey, I know I couldn't do it for you last time, but I can do it for you this time. So you can actually set yourself up for success by being specific on the kind of support you need. Beautifully said. Now, I think we should end on where we are wrapping up time here, but I'd love yes. to end on your book and where people can find you. I know you're out in the community doing a lot of speaking, you're at conferences. So if someone wants to get in touch with you or they want to buy your book or both, where can they do that? Well, of course, my book is on Amazon. So you have 100 Acts of Love, A Girlfriend's Guide to Loving Your Friend Through Cancer or Loss. You can also go to my website at 100 100 dot, I'm sorry, 100 acts of love.com. Today's it's Friday, my widow brain Friday. 100 <laughs> acts of love.com. That's the number 100. Uh, currently, I am um, speaking at organizations focusing on supporting employees with health crisis, um, dealing with cancer or grief in the workforce. Now, of course, I am open to speaking on anyone about, you know, dealing with Christ health crisis in the workforce. Um, so I'm speaking at organizations and I also um, next month, at the end of next month, I'm going to be putting out my two first products. One is a product on how to support a coworker or friend. It is a, a um, course. And the second course is actually focused on managers, on how managers can understand how to support an employee with cancer or other health crisis and build productivity and employee engagement at the same time. Two things that are coming up. And of course, please find me, please uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time talking to managers and employees and about cancer and the workforce and health crisis crisis in the workforce. So those are the places to find me. Well, Kim, thank you for everything you're doing out in the world. And thank you for sharing your story and your tips and tools on this podcast. I appreciate you. Well, Susan, I adore you. I've adored you from that moment where we started swearing together. <laughs> and 
I love what you've done with this toolbox. I think it's an incredible resource. So if you haven't bought this book yet, she's not paying me to pitch this people. <laughs> um, if you haven't bought her book yet, please buy it, buy it, buy it, buy actually buy three or four copies so you can give copies away. It's a really powerful, powerful book. And I like, as you can just open it up and pick a tool. You don't have to kind of read it, you know, from A to Z. So thank you. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z toolboxcom Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.